I'm Pastor Scott, lead pastor of the river. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. From Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Remember all the stuff that came before when we hear something like that. We just need at least to look back or remember what it is that Paul said before this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, when I grew up in Ontario, Canada, um, one of the things that my parents decided to do was give themselves a break every summer from me and my siblings, my older brother, my younger sister, and send us to camp. Did anyone go to camp when they were kids? Camp was a big deal in our family, and the name of the camp that we went to was Camp Kimonoya. Uh, one of those funny names. I don't think that there's any normal names for kids' camps. They're all weird, uh, different names, but ours was Camp Kimonoya. It was a small camp north of Toronto, Ontario, on a lake called Lake Shandos. And for two weeks, yes, two weeks, as a, uh, I remember going the first time when I was seven, and the last time that I think I went, I was 11. And for those four years, for two weeks, every year, we would go to Kimonoya, and we would do a whole bunch of stuff. Archery, uh, we would do horseback riding, we would play games, arts and crafts, all those great camp arts and crafts that you're supposed to take home, you know, macaroni glued on everything. I think we, you glue macaroni on everything. Um, 
We just, it, and it was a great time. We had, we had uh, friends that we made over the years from all these different places and all these different uh, spots. So I knew people from, from lots of different areas of Ontario. Uh, one of the things, one of the big events every week, and I can't remember, I think it was on the Saturday right in the middle of the two weeks, was the lake swim. And Lake Shandos was a wide lake, but not too wide. I think from side to side, uh, at least in the portion that I'm talking about, it was maybe about uh, half a mile. That's about how long it was. And um, the lake swim was simply this. If you wanted to be a blue shark, you swam from the camp, the end of the swimming dock, across the lake, and you took touched this marker on the other side of the lake, half a mile away. And you swam across and touched this marker, and that was blue shark. And then there was white whale, and white whale was swim across, touch the marker, get back in the water, and swim back to camp. And now I say a half a mile, but when you're a little kid, everything seems wider. So maybe it was only about 100 yards. But to me, it really felt like a long, long, long way. And one year, I think it was my third year at camp, I decided I was going to do, I was going to skip blue shark and just go straight to white whale. All the way across the lake and all the way back. And I want to say that we were in the water for, uh, we were in the water for probably a good hour by the time we swam back and forth, at least as I remember it. Again, when you're a little kid, everything seems bigger and greater. Maybe we were only in the water for like 30 seconds. It just felt like a long time. So I got in the water, and you start swimming. And of course, you're like every little kid. The first, like, 150 yards, you're just swimming like crazy. You're going to do this in record time. You're going to be awesome. It's going to be so fast. You're going you're to look amazing, and everyone standing on shore will be like, oh, that's a fish. Look at that kid go. Amazing, right? And then you get to the middle of the lake and realize you're in deep trouble. And you tread water for a little bit to rest, and then you swim a little bit farther, tread water, rest. I finally got to the other side, get out, and you trudge out of the water, and you touch the marker on the other side, and you get back in the water. And I looked across, and what seemed like a half a mile before now was a mile and a half. I mean, it just seemed like forever it was going to take me to get back. I get in the water, and I start swimming. And by that time, you're really tired. And so there was a lot of treading water just to rest. There were canoes with us the whole way, and there were uh, people helping us and encouraging us and making sure that everything was all right. They had life jackets and, for me, life rings and the floaties, all those sorts of things to help me if I needed it. Thankfully, I didn't. Finally, like the last 50 yards that you're swimming, the whole camp is gathered on shore, and they're just screaming your name, and they're just saying, go, go, you can do it, you can do it. And finally, you get to the end, and you touch the dock, and you slowly, I couldn't even pull myself up, I was so tired at that point, so a couple of the counselors pulled myself, pulled me up on the dock, and they put you on shore, and you're resting for a little while, and maybe about 20 minutes after everyone is done, you're around a campfire, and you get this badge. And on the badge is, for me, a white whale that you can take home and you can put on your little award thing. It says, I swam across and back Lake Shandos with a white whale, Camp Kiminoya, whatever the year was. And I don't still have it. I actually, I don't know where it went. It got lost and it moved somewhere. But I distinctly remember that. And I also distinctly remember, I never did it again. 
I never swam across the lake ever again. I didn't do it once or back one side. I didn't do there and back. I never did it again. Why? Because I'd already swam across the lake. I was a lake swimmer. I'd done it. There was a time when before that, I was not a person who'd swam across the lake, but now I was in this place where I'd swam across the lake. I didn't even need to go there anymore because I'd crossed that threshold. I now had this achievement, this thing, this change that I didn't need to go back. I couldn't, in fact. You can't have swam a lake and then say, I've never swam across the lake. It doesn't work that way. You've achieved it. It's happened. It's done, and it's over. What Paul is talking about this morning in Romans chapter 6 is crossing a threshold, experiencing a change, something different that you can't go back from. I had crossed the lake, I couldn't go back. In Paul's words, something has happened that we've crossed the threshold in Christ Jesus, and you can't go back and ever be what was before. It's impossible. The change has occurred. There's a transformation. There's a movement. And you can't return. Let's jump into this. Verses 1 through 4 of Romans chapter 6 say this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now remember, before this, Paul had just stated that where sin increases, grace excuse me, grace increases more. That's verse, uh, verse 20 of chapter 5. You look back, it says there, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This has already been said. Paul has made that clear. And thus, the argument that someone might make about chapter 6, verse 1, the argument looks something like this. Grace is good... We want more grace, so we should sin more, so there's more grace. Which, to the person making the argument, it may sound right. We want to see God's grace more and more in the world, not less and less. However, Paul is pretty clear on this. He's saying absolutely not. And to us, of course, that sounds foolish, that we would sin more and experience the pain and the trial and the burden of sin more in order to see grace more in our life. That's something that to us, of course, which would seem foolish. But certainly to some, it might seem how like they are supposed to live. I'm going to experience more grace if I sin more. Paul's saying, no way. In fact, that's his response It's the same phrase that we had before, meganato, that we had previous in the text. And it's adamant. It's fervent. No way. You'd be crazy to do that. And the construction of verse 2, when we look at that, it's a construction that denotes an authority shift, a change in what has gone on. We're dead in our allegiance to death. 
You hear that? We're dead in our allegiance to death through Christ. Before, before we knew grace, before we knew Jesus, we lived in that whole kingdom of death. That's what chapter 5 is all about. We lived under its authority. Remember the word that we used there. Reigned. Death reigned in us. But now, through Christ, that allegiance has shifted from death to Christ. From death to life. We now have this allegiance to Christ. And if you look back at 5.17, I said that was the key verse last week. It says this, reminds us of that. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What was before was an allegiance. Death reigned. And now, Christ reigns. Remember the line? I hadn't swam the lake, then I swam the lake, the line had been crossed. There was an allegiance to death, and then through the grace of Christ, the line has been crossed, and you can't go back. You can't return. And then, they get this wonderful word picture in verses 3 and 4 that tell us about the power of baptism within all this. They say, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's the line being crossed. That baptism into death, and certainly that is the actual baptism, water being, uh, someone being immersed into water and coming up into new life. But it is also a baptism into the spirit through faith. It's not just solely about the water. It's also the baptism of faith and grace that comes through Jesus Christ. So we don't say when you are baptized, you are saved. We say when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit through faith, through grace in Jesus Christ. That's when that line is crossed. And the power of verses 3 and 4 come out in how the early church would express baptism. If you've ever been to parts of the world where the early church was, in Israel, in Greece, in Turkey, in some of those areas, you will see this shown out really powerfully in their baptismal fonts. Baptismal fonts really had two shapes. The themes that they would have, they were actually three. One was a cross. You had to have, um, the legs of the cross, and you would descend on one short leg down a step of stairs, and at the bottom was the pool, and you would come out of that. But the two that I'm talking about, which speak to this picture, are the womb or the tomb. What I mean is this, that there were baptismal fonts, baptism by immersion, that were shaped like wombs. I don't know what a womb is shaped like, but that's what people said they were shaped like. And you would descend into what was a womb so that you could be what? Born again into new life. It was that, that renewal of life, that transformation of life from a life reigned by death to a life reigned by Jesus Christ, that rebirth image. And the tomb certainly was that descent. 
idea. You descend into the tomb to die to the old self. And in crossing that line, coming into new life, being raised from the dead with Christ. This powerful, powerful pictures. Now, we use a cow trough here for our baptisms by immersion here at the river. I don't know what that says about us. Maybe we need to rethink that a little bit. But these images come across in the early church in some powerful, powerful ways. Another way for us to think about this, or for me to, to help uh, us think about this, is uh, I learned some stuff uh, when I was in Chicago for a summer that, that I think speaks into this a little bit, and I learned it about baseball. Chicago's a really interesting town. It's a town that is uh, passionate about a lot of things. I think it's the uh, second in line, sort of. Like when you're in second, you always work a little harder. They've always felt like they've been second to New York as the city in the U.S. They, they've been just behind New York, so they try a little harder. And they're, they're passionate about a lot of things, passionate about good food. They're really passionate about their baseball. If you've ever been to Chicago or you were raised in Chicago, you know what I'm speaking of. Because in Chicago, you got to pick a side. If you're from the south part of Chicago, you're probably going to pick one side. Anybody know what team that is? The White Sox. South Chicago, White Sox. If you're from the western suburbs or north of the city, what are you going to be? You're going to be a Cubs fan. And the funny part about that is, is once you become, once you pick a side, once you're in you're in. Once you're a White Sox fan, you can't change. You don't change. You don't shift in Chicago. Once, once you pick the Cubs, you don't shift. And not only do you like your team, you hate the other team. You hate them. You want to see them lose every single time. If they went 0-162, you'd be just fine with that. That's the passion and you don't shift, change sides, move from one camp into another. There is no such thing as a person who in Chicago who is a Cubs fan and a White Sox fan. It doesn't work like that. You pick one or you pick the other. It's what you are. In the same way, this death or Christ, there's no switching sides, especially if you're in Christ. You can't switch sides. There's no allegiance shift. There's no movement. It can't happen. It's impossible. And when you think about baptism, or, or when you think about baseball fans being fans, what is fans short for? It's short for fanatics. There's a passion that goes along with it. Same thing in our idea of being into this new life with Christ. We are a fan, fanatic, passionate, full of who Jesus calls us to be. That's this new thing, this transformation, crossing that line, the shift that has been made for us in Christ. And we see that powerfully in verse 5. Verse 5 says this, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Here's an interesting word. It's united, that word united. And that word in Greek is sumfutus. Sumfutus. Say that with me. Sumfutus. 
interesting thing is, is that in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, it's the only appearance of that word, it appears twice in that verse, in all of Scripture. Nowhere else. It appears in other historical documents of the day, so they know what it means. But this is the only place that it is shown in all of the text. And what it is, from the other historical documents, we know it's a horticultural word. And it has everything to do with grafting. The idea, if you don't know what grafting is, where you can cut a portion off of one type of plant and take that portion and ingrow it, graft it into another plant or another type of plant. They do that all the time around here with different types types of nut trees, walnut trees especially. You'll see a burl at the, top, at the bottom of the tree, a trunk that is uh, huge and coming out of that are number of small grafts, that idea of being united with that new tree. And now that new tree is your life. What Paul is saying here is now in the sumfutus of Christ, we are united with this new tree, and this new tree is what gives us life. And we can't be outgrafted into the old tree, the old place. It won't work. That graft is for always. That uniting has changed everything. This image then gives us one where we've been cut from one tree, sin and death, and been united with this other tree, grafted into Christ. What he has experienced, crucifixion, resurrection, because we're grafted in with him, we have experienced too. It's something that uniting that makes us one with Christ. Which is one of those words where, as Christians, it's hard to explain to people who aren't part of the faith. Do you believe you are one with Christ? Do you believe you are one with Christ? Good. Try to explain that to somebody who doesn't understand it. And you're going to find really quickly that they're like, what in the world are you talking about? How does it mean, what do you mean that you are united, one with Christ? And in some ways for us, that's, that's something that we don't understand until we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. When we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we know oneness, right? You know those moments where in, inside the depths of your core, the fullness of God overflows. Anyone ever experienced that before? Where all of a sudden, words come out of your mouth if you're speaking into the life of another. Where did those come from? How did that happen? Where did I get that? The fullness of God. The oneness of God through his Holy Spirit speaking through us. Or overwhelming by comfort or peace or life or hope or even things like conviction. When we feel within the depths of our heart the, the, the soul of us, this, I gotta, I gotta change. Something needs to be different. That's God's oneness with us. That he's not just giving us outside input, impacting us in different ways from different people's words, but from inside That's the oneness that we experience in Jesus Christ. And then we see verse 7, verse 7 says this. Because anyone who has has died has been freed from sin. 
Okay, now follow the argument. Have you died? Have you died? You died in Christ. Yes, you haven't experienced physical death yet. Praise be to God. We all will someday. It's death and taxes, those things we can always count on, right? Someday that will happen. But we have already experienced death in Christ. Why? Because we're one with him. We're united with Christ in his death. And what Paul says then is that if you have experienced death in Christ, then what? Sin has no power over you. You hearing me? And that's present tense. I'm not talking about future. I'm talking about now. Sin has no power over you. Sin has no power to condemn you, to say you are unworthy before your God because you've died with Christ and sin has no power over you. That's present living. And the challenge that we face and we often experience with how sin and Satan work in our lives is that that's exactly the sort of thing that they address. What do they address? They say this. Sin and Satan in our lives say this. You are unworthy of the grace of Jesus Christ. God doesn't love you. You're not going to heaven because of what you've done. Anyone ever heard those sorts of things in their mind? Them temptations from Satan? I do regularly. Those temptations that speak the lies of sin and Satan in my life to take away the truth that sin has no power over me anymore because I have been united with Christ in his death and death has no, our sin has no power over something that has died. Which means that I can live into victory and life and fullness I don't need to live in guilt because sin has no power over me in Jesus Christ. I don't need to live into that depression, that doubt, that fear. Oh, it may be present, and certainly those things are going to be present in all of us, and we, we don't, but we don't have to fear them. We don't have to fear when doubts come. We don't have to fear when fear comes because we know in our heads, doubt and fear are here. We know in our heads that in Christ we have died to the power of sin, and it has no power over us anymore. That's when this line happens. It's when we cross it. We live into this new life. Verses 8 through 10 say this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, follow the argument that Paul is making here. Important steps of logic for us to understand. We're sumfutos with Christ, united, grafted in. So when he died, we died. In dying on the cross, Christ has victory over death. And since sin only has power until death, he beat sin too. And now he lives. But there's only one master left for him to serve. And that's God his Father. 
And since we're united with him, all of this is true for us too. And again, it's important to hear this because oftentimes I think we think this is a future truth. This is about what is to come. This is present tense, folks. This is now. This is here. This is Thanksgiving week 2014 in this place. This stuff is true for us. So what? We can live into it. We can live into the victory, the hope, the life, the grace, the love that we experience in Jesus Christ because we don't have to worry about anything else. Sin has no power over us because sin only has power until death. And death has no power of us because we've been united with Christ and he beat death too. In him, we can live into this new thing on the other side of the line that changes everything, and we can never go back. The problem is, is sometimes in our own lives, we stand at the line and look back, and we say, I remember what that looked like. And I remember what that felt like. In fact, I still feel it in some ways. And we almost want to try to stick our foot across the line, but there's no going back. God be praised there's no going back because on this side of the line there's life and hope and joy and peace on this side of the life on the, this side of the line there's none of that you and I can't go back we're some futos we're united we're grafted that's work that we do here we need to know it we need to understand that we need when we don't feel it. And there's moments when we do, when we don't feel the presence of the Spirit, we don't feel God's love. We don't feel his power in us. We feel defeated. We feel doubtful. We feel fearful. We feel all those things which take us away and closer to the line, away from God. That's so we know. You know where that knowing comes from? comes from faith. We know the truth. You know the truth. That you have died with Christ and now sin no longer has power over you. You know it, but you don't feel it. Live into the knowing and not into the feeling. That's truly living. Paul closes this section in uh, verses 9 through 11 with this or, I don't know, 11, 11 through 14. I don't know what I had going on here. And they say this, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. He closes this section with instruction that comes out of this truth. Here's your reality, folks. Here's your head stuff. Here's the stuff you need to know that you need to believe that you and I, in Jesus Christ, can claim to be true for us. Let's live into that. That sin has no power. 
that death has no power, that we are alive, grafted into the vine that will never die, grafted into the tree that is full of life. And because he is full of life and we're one with him, we are full of life, living into that reality. And then that verb basileo, to reign, to rule, comes again. It's from the previous section. You reign with Christ through his grace. It's his work in you. Grace giving you that rulership that we talked about last week. Living royally. So don't let sin reign. And here's the thing. Paul gives us this command construction. It's one of those imperative. Do this. Do this. Believe this. Live this. Live in that truth. Live into that life. And then verse 14 puts the icing on the cake. Let's read that again. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. You know what that means? That means that the things that you do that are sin don't have any power over you. Hear me. Because the problem is we let them have power, right? We let them consume us with guilt. I messed up again. I should feel guilty before God because I am unworthy before him. You're one with him. You're one with him. And he died so that sin, that sin that's making you feel guilty has no power over you anymore. And what you and I are saying when we're living into that guilt and not moving towards what God has for us, when we're allowing that guilt to consume us, is, you know what, Jesus? Your crucifixion didn't work. Do it again. You ever heard the phrase that we keep on nailing Jesus to the cross? I think that's true for some of us. We keep on saying that we need Jesus to be crucified again. But he's done it already once and for all. That's where this has to kick in. Live into that truth. Reject the lie. Ignore the line and move towards the tree towards which you and I are some futos grafted in for all time. So what? Sin and death have no power over believers unless they let them. Hearing me? Sin and death have no power over you unless you let it. Because the truth is that those things have no power over you anymore. We see it from Romans chapter 6. Christ killed the power that they have. They no longer reign. Now he does. When we allow them to reign in our lives, it's because we are the ones letting them. Christ's grace and his Holy Spirit continues to call us into his life. We just choose not to go. We choose not to live in, to know it. Second thing is, we have been and continued, continue to be united with Christ. That's who we really are. 
That's who you are. When you go out of this place and you go to Panera today, or when you go home today, or when you spend time with family and friends today and go to work or school or whatever it is that you do tomorrow, or if you, you know, when you're spending time with your family or your friends on Thursday, since you are united with Christ, you carry Christ with you into that place. And that's knowledge. You may not feel it. You may not, you may not feel that presence, but the truth is the head knowledge, the faith, says he is with you. The question is not, or for us, sometimes, do you acknowledge the one that you're with? Do you acknowledge the one that you are with? Or are you instead saying, I'm alone here. I'm not carrying Jesus with me. You do. Trust that. Believe that. Finally, we can ignore who we are. That's wickedness. We can offer God who we are with the life we live. Things like gratitude, worship, service, relationships, all these things, that's really living. You know, I don't know about you, but I want more of that, right? Do we want more of that living in our lives? It's, it's funny because, I, you know, as your pastor, I, I care deeply about just drawing us into opportunities where we can live in to that truth and live into that life, where we can get to that place where um, we, we, we really, really understand who we are, our present reality on this side of the line, sumfutos, engrafted, united with Christ in the tree of life that he offers to us. And it's interesting, this past week, I was reading an article, and it's an article, it's one of those things that's weird, because uh, there's a part of me that really likes statistics, and there's a part of me that really hates statistics, because I'm the sort of person that always wants to prove statistics wrong. I'm an underdog guy, or I'm a push-against-the-grain guy. I want to do things my own way. I always have, probably always will, and I know it upsets more than a couple people in my life, but that's okay. God's who God has made me. That's my calling as, as part of the kingdom of God. And I'm reading this article about statistics, and it said this statistic, and as I'm reading it, I'm reading it with some cynicism because I don't really want to believe all the things that it is saying. But then I ran into this one, and I believe it, and I believe it actually with all my heart. It says that if, it said that they were measuring what sort of things would help a believer become more passionately in love and following Jesus, living into that sumfutos. And it statistically had a whole bunch of different things. It had things like getting involved in ministry. It had things like, um, you know, uh, uh, prayer life. It had things like, um, you know, regularly attending church. It had things like, um, you know, telling people about Jesus. All those sorts of things. And there was a measurement. There was a number attached to each of those things. And some of those numbers were pretty remarkable. Some of them were remarkable, actually, in that they were so low. Those things didn't impact the growth of people who are trying to follow Jesus. But one stood out. The number was 42.3%, something like that. 42.3% of people who were growing in their walk with Jesus, living into sumfutos, 
said that this thing made them, or God, God used that to bring him closer to himself and more passionately in love with God. Anyone want to guess what it was? This. It's this. This thing. This word. This hope. This life. And the striking thing to me is that I, I work with this regularly. You know that. But there are certainly times in my life where I don't feast upon this as God's bread of life. There are dips and valleys in my devotional life, my pursuing God's word, living into it, bringing it into my heart and into my mind and into my life in different ways. There are times when I seem to be good at it, when I feel united with Christ and his word, and there are a lot of times when I feel really far away from him. But I can tell you this, if you want to grow in your sumfutos, united with Christ, living into that knowledge that you've crossed the line in Jesus and now you have life with sin and death having no power over you anymore, statistically, in the life of the church, this is the best way to do it. This is the best way to live into it. This is the best way to grow into it. As we walk through this time of year where we come to days like Thanksgiving, when we walk through Advent with our children, with our families, when we walk through a lot of different stuff, one of the things that I want to put in front of you right now, you call this an extra little push. You get bonus. The theme starts next week, but I'm giving it to you extra. Dive in. Jump in. Read the story, Luke chapter 2, again. Perhaps memorize the story. All your kids are doing it right now anyway. Memorize it along with them. And then go to maybe some of the places, because there's always going to be footnotes in the Old Testament where the prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel proclaimed the truth that all this was going to happen. Go back to those texts and read them and memorize them. And live into them. And I can't promise because it's only 42.3%. But I certainly can hope, believe, and trust that as we, led by the Spirit, move towards his word by his grace in Jesus Christ that he equips us with in this new life, this will grow our passion grow our love, and grow us as disciples, following, living into, being ingrafted, sumfutos, into Jesus Christ, the one who gives us life. Would you pray with me? Living God, hope of the world, one who has given us life, we pray in Jesus' name, you equip, empower us, and move us through your spirit to live into the knowledge, live into the faith that says 
Everything has changed. The line has been crossed. There's no going back. Sin has no power. Death has no power. We now live being reigned over by the grace of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his crucifixion, changing everything for us. Lord, if we've crossed that line, may we live into it. Through the power of your spirit present within our hearts and our minds, ingrain that truth in us. Tattoo it on our brains so that we never live without it. We never live outside it. Even when difficulty comes, sin, doubt, fear, discouragement, challenge, temptation, that we can live into that truth knowing our, our reality, what is true. Father, if we haven't crossed that line, if that's not something that you have yet done in us, I pray in Jesus' name that you do it. Lord, may we be moved by your spirit to acknowledge truth, to realize what is real, to realize who we really are, sumfutos and grafted, united with you in Jesus Christ into new life. And that you will move us through your spirit from a tree of death to a tree of life. We pray these things in Christ. Amen. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear. Maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them. Feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for checking us out.